My text this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And at the end of the chapter, it is verse 30. So that again is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There is a close connection between the reading I gave you in the Gospel of John 17 and the words here which are my text. In John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus Christ was praying to his heavenly Father and telling him what he, Jesus, had been teaching the people in this world, in his ministry. And he was saying that he was giving the people the truth of the gospel so that they might be saved. There is only one gospel in the world, and that is the message which the Lord Jesus Christ came to give to us all in the world. And he gave it to us so that we should be saved. There are therefore two kinds of people in the world. There are the people who are saved and on their way to glory and to heaven. And the other kind of people are those who are not saved. And Jesus tells us, therefore, that he alone is able to take us to heaven. You see what is said here in this text? We are told here in verse 30 what he was saying to his father in John's gospel. We are told here that of him... Are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? And what I wish to do this morning is to explain to you what these four words mean. Jesus is everything in the gospel. Jesus is everything in true religion. To have Christ is to have heaven, but not to have Christ is to be eternally lost. My dear friends, this is extremely important for every one of us, whether you be a child or a teenager or a grown-up or, like me, an old man. 
we must all of us ask this question, am I a true Christian or am I not? Do I believe in Jesus or do I not? That is the most important question in the world. And I look at it for that reason. And in my sermon, looking at this verse 30 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to show you that Christians are changed in four stages. These are the four words. Christ is made first of us all first of all unto us as wisdom, second righteousness, third sanctification, and fourthly, he is made unto us the fourth thing which is mentioned here. So we look at then at these four things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now, these are the four stages through which Jesus Christ takes people in order to make them true Christians ready for heaven. And you notice the first one is wisdom. So let me explain what is meant when it tells us here that Jesus Christ is our wisdom. We are all of us born sinful. We are all of us born foolish. There is a wisdom of this world, but it is not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of this world is something like this. I want to be rich. I want to have a big house. I want to have plenty of money to spend. I want to enjoy life. I want to go around the world in airplanes and look at this country and that country. Or other people are a bit different. They say, I want to be very clever. I want to go to university and have lots of degrees. MA and BA and BSc and Doctor of Philosophy. I want to be very, very clever and very learned and very important so that people will look at me and say, oh, look at him. Oh, look at her. They're so clever. They've got so many degrees at university. And there's another kind of worldly pleasure. It is sport. And all that matters to some people is playing football and, and playing cricket and uh, other games. Now, all of these things are the wisdom of this world, which is foolishness with God. So when Jesus here tells us he is our wisdom, it means this. God changes people and makes them realize what heavenly wisdom is. Earthly wisdom is with God stupidity, foolishness. So the wisdom that Jesus Christ gives to us is the wisdom of heaven in order to make us wise 
with the wisdom that God gives to people in order to prepare them to go to heaven and to go to glory when they die. Now, what then is this heavenly wisdom referred to here? Well, let me tell you, it is something that God brings into our life and he changes the way we think. He alters us. He does this by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into a person's heart and uh, this person is changed by what the Bible calls the new birth. If we ever want to be a true Christian, we have to have the new birth. And the new birth is this. God's Holy Spirit enters into our heart and he teaches us to be wise. And the wisdom of God is absolutely the opposite to the wisdom of this world. When the Holy Spirit comes into our heart and teaches us, we think of everything in a different way. A person whom God has taught to be wise looks at the Bible as being God's divine inspired book of truth. So I put it to you, my beloved friends, is that the way you think of the Bible? It is God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant truth. Well, if you don't, then I have to say to you in love and kindness, because I love you all and wish God to bless you all, if you don't think of the Bible as being God's divine word, then you are foolish, and you are living a life of foolishness, and you need to pray to God that he will change you and give you this wisdom, which is a heavenly wisdom. And when a person has heavenly wisdom, they think of the Bible as being inspired truth given to us, not by men, but by God. Let me just show you from a verse right at the end of the Bible, in Revelation, the last chapter, it goes like this. God is talking about the Bible. And God says, if anyone adds anything to the Bible, I will add to him the curses of the Bible. But if anyone takes away from the Bible, I will take away his name out of the book of life. Now, notice what God is saying there. He's talking about the Bible. And he says, if we add anything to the Bible, our own ideas, our own theories, our own cleverness, God will add to us the punishments which he will give to people and they're read, uh, to be found in the Bible. On the other hand, if we take away from the Bible then God will take away our name out of the book of life, which means we will not go to heaven. So that's what God means when he says that 
He makes people wise in order to make them real, true, genuine Christians. And a genuine, real Christian believes the Bible to be so perfectly God's word that he will never add anything to it, nor take away anything from it. Now, sadly, we live in a world today where people do change the Bible. Let me tell you what they do. The Bible tells us that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. That's at the beginning of the Bible. You will know that in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Now, that's what God has told us, but people don't believe that today. Many of them, they don't. They think that's nonsense. Oh, no, they say. Oh, no, science tells us that the world came about by a big bang. It's the theory of evolution. So they say, we shouldn't go by what the Bible says. We go by what science tells us. But my beloved friends, that's what the Bible calls science false, we're so-called. It is false science. God tells us that if we want to be truly wise, we must throw away all human wisdom and all false science of every kind and believe that God created the world out of nothing in the space of six days and all very good. So that's an example, you see, of the wisdom that God teaches us. People don't believe the Bible until God teaches them by giving them his Holy Spirit and changing their lives so that they come to see, I was wrong before. The Bible is God's word. It's only when a person is born again and changed by God that they have this wisdom. My dearly beloved friends, do you have this wisdom? Well, now, the second thing we are told about Christ here in this verse is this. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, first of all, wisdom, and then secondly, righteousness. These words tell us how God changes a person from being an unbeliever to becoming a believer. And the first step I've given you is he makes us wise. Until we have this wisdom, we're not Christians, we're fools. But when God changes us, we believe the Bible. And when we believe the Bible, then that's the beginning of being a genuine, true Christian. The second step is this one here. Righteousness. Now, what is that? Righteousness means having all our sins forgiven by God. That is a tremendous blessing. I hope we all realize that unless all our sins are forgiven, we are not Christians. Unless all our sins are forgiven, we are still unbelievers. 
So in order to take away our sins and give us forgiveness of all our sins, God gives us this blessing called righteousness. Now, I know that so many of you know this and believe it, but my concern today is to make sure you all know it and believe it. We only become true Christians when all our sins are forgiven. And that only happens when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God. And when we come to understand that Jesus lived in this world a perfect life without sin and died upon the cross suffering the penalty for our sin, here's the wonderful, wonderful truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins and yours, if you're a Christian. He didn't die for everyone, but he died for those who are his people and come to believe in him. He shed his blood upon the cross in order to take away the sins of all his truly loving, believing people. Now, Jesus, of course, is under no misconception at all. He, he says to his heavenly father in uh, that chapter in John that we read, he said to his heavenly father that the world hated him and his people. And that's what happens when you become a genuine Christian, people hate you. They say, you fool. Do you really believe the Bible? You fool. You should believe what the world teaches you should go to university and get another degree, which will tell you that science is what tells us the truth. No, we have as Christians to believe whether the world loves us or hates us, we must get that righteousness which only Christ can give us. The righteousness is Christ's perfect righteousness, which he himself can give to us as the eternal Son of God. He paid the price for all the sins of all his people. He suffered the curse which you and I deserve for our sins. He was ready to place himself under the judgment of his heavenly Father out of love for us, who his own self bear our sins in his own body to the tree. That we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness. By his stripes we are healed. For we were a sheep going astray. But are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. That's what a genuine Christian is. Someone whose sins are forgiven. And what happens is this. God imputes or reckons the perfect righteousness of Christ to vile sinners like me. He gives us Christ's perfect righteousness so that when we die, we shall not be punished for sin. Christ has suffered for us. He himself has gone through the agonies of the cross in order that you and I who believe in him may have sin forgiven. 
and be at peace with God. Now, there are three things to be said about this righteousness. First of all, it is absolutely and only the righteousness which Christ can give us. I'm afraid this is where the Roman Catholic Church went terribly wrong and still does go wrong. The Roman Catholic teaching is that Christ's righteousness is important, but we must also have good works of our own. Our own good works, they say, are part of the righteousness we need to be right with God. The answer to that is no, that is not the teaching of the Bible. The righteousness whereby we have our sins forgiven is simply and entirely and completely the righteousness of Christ. My good works add nothing to what he has done. The second thing to say about this righteousness is this, that there's only one way to get it. How do I get this righteousness of God? The answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him by faith alone, without works of ours. By faith alone, the sins of the sinner are wholly forgiven because by faith alone, God reckons Christ's perfect righteousness to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, it's the second thing. And the third thing is this. How do you recognize a person whose sins are forgiven? How would you know them? You can't read a person's heart, can you? You can't see what their thoughts are. How then can you recognize a genuine Christian as distinct from a hypocrite who's not a genuine Christian? And there are plenty of those. The answer is this. A genuine Christian who has the righteousness of God given to him can be recognized like this. He lives a different life from other people. He now lives a life to glorify God. He now lives a life consistent with the teaching of the Bible. Oh, he's not perfect, as we'll see in a moment, but his life is different. My dear friends, I think you all know, don't you, there are some people who call themselves Christians and they're not different from the world. They look like the world, they talk like the world, but they're not genuine Christians. They're just talkative Christians. They're not genuine. The real Christian can be recognized like this. He or she lives a life to please God. They don't want to please themselves. They want to go by the Bible. They want to have God honored in their lives. Jesus told us this. He said, let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me just be personal for a moment. I wasn't a Christian when I went to my first church near Manchester. And in this first church near Manchester, it was a Methodist church, there were a lot of people who were false Christians. They weren't different from the world. You could see they were just going to church, but not much more. But amongst those who were going to the church was a Welsh boy 
a Welsh boy. He'd be about 19 or 20. And you could see at a glance he was different from the others. He loved the Bible. He was respectful to the Sabbath day. He came to church out of obedience to God. There's only one way to put it. You could see he was different. So those are the three things about righteousness. First, the only person who can give you this righteousness is Christ who died for us. Second, we must take that righteousness as a gift. Faith is like an open hand. It receives the gift. You have a, such a simple way to put it, but if it's your birthday and your grandfather comes along and he has a present to give you on your birthday and he holds out this present to you, you know what you do. You stretch out an empty hand. You don't have a handful of money. It's an empty hand. So we receive Christ's righteousness with an empty hand. We don't bring any goodness of our own with us. Righteousness is entirely and wholly Christ's work. But then, how do you know a person is genuinely being converted? How do you know he's a real Christian? There were plenty of people that Jesus knew called Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were very, very religious, but they weren't genuine, true Christian. No, 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 they weren't. And alas, I'm sorry, there are plenty of Christians in the world today, and they talk about being Christians, but they're not genuine, real, true Christians. How do you recognize a real Christian? I'll tell you. They live a different life from others. You can see the light of heaven shining in their face. They bring up their children to know the truth. When they go to church, they're listening to the word of God. At home, they have family worship. They talk about the Bible. They don't spend all their time listening to football matches and political talking. I'm not saying it's a sin to play football. I don't mean that. But I mean, when a person is truly converted and when they have this righteousness of God, you can see in their lives that they're living in the first place to please God. So, my beloved friend, the question is, have you got that? If not, ask God to give it to you. Now, the third thing here in this text is this, wisdom, righteousness, then thirdly, sanctification. What's that? Sanctification means being made increasingly holy. Nobody in this life is perfectly holy, the only person who ever lived in this world who was perfectly holy was the Lord Jesus Christ. Even eminent Christians and excellent Christians, they're not perfectly holy in this life. All Christians will be holy in the next life, but not in this life. But God begins this process of making us holy here and now in this life. How does it happen? It begins with the new birth. When God gives us a new birth, our nature is changed. 
Before that, sin was what controlled our life. But after we're born again, it is a desire to honor God which controls a person's life. And they go to the Bible for guidance always. And we discover in the Bible, God has given us a rule for living a godly life. And that rule is what we call the Ten Commandments. We are not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. No, no, we're saved by faith alone in Christ. But when we are saved, the way we are to order our life is by keeping the Ten Commandments. There are some Christians who don't realize that. But the way to honor God is to keep the Ten Commandments. To love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We can't do it perfectly in this life, but we must keep trying. And we use a word which is very important called mortify. Mortify means to put to death. And when a person is, has received this sanctification we're talking about, a person who has got this sanctification, he knows it is his duty to put things to death in his life. What do I mean? Well, it means we must stop doing things which we used to do, which are not pleasing to God. One of these is the words we use. I was in a shop. Was it yesterday or the day before? And there was a very nice young lady standing beside me. And uh, she was talking to the person in the shop behind the counter. Uh, she said, oh, gosh, she said, ooh. I said to her, do you realize that's a blasphemy? No, she said, I didn't. Let me tell you. I said, gosh, is a twisted way of saying, oh, God, you are cursing God. And I said, there are plenty of these words. Oh, gosh, he's one of them. Crikey is another. It's a blasphemous of Christ. G is another. Oh, G, people say. Oh, G is Jesus. We refer to these as minced oaths. And my beloved friend, we must be careful to get rid of all these minced oaths out of our mind and out of our breath and out of our voice. Minced oaths are things which displease God. Heavens above, people say, oh, no. We are taking God's house in heaven in a careless, blasphemous way. So I refer to these things because our duty when we are sanctified is, is to mortify all the wrong things in our life. There are plenty of examples of this. If the television happens to be on, if you have a television and it's on, and then suddenly something comes on the screen, which you know isn't very good, people are not properly dressed or something, and you don't look at it anymore, you, you turn your back on it and you switch it off. And uh, mortify is one of the great duties of the Christian life. It is the way whereby the Christian becomes more and more godly, more and more sanctified. So, my beloved friends, we apply the Ten Commandments to our lives. This is the rule of duty for the Christian. 
And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is all part of it. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet or envy. And that means that we must get rid of pride. Pride is the most difficult thing to get rid of. But we must spend all our time doing our best to kill the pride which is in our nature. It's so easy to be a preacher. I'm now an old preacher coming to the end, but it's so easy as a preacher to be proud. I'm the best preacher in a church, you know that? There's no preacher can preach like me. Oh, they're all right, but they're not as good as me. We don't often say that, but we often think that. My dear friends, that's the curse of indwelling sin. You have it, I have it, whether you're a preacher or not. We've all got it. This is the trouble that came into the human race when Adam sinned against God. Uh, Adam was told by the devil, you know, to uh, not to listen to what God says. If you do what I tell you, you'll be like God, which means you become proud and important. And this is the cursed thing you and I must get rid of if we want to be truly sanctified. Put our pride to death. Pride is so much part of the cursed fallen nature. So that's the third thing then. I put it to you, my beloved friends, is it your practice to put to death the sinful things that come into your life? Bad thoughts, bad words, bad ideas, bad friendships, get rid of them. Whatsoever is hindering your progress in Godliness and righteousness is something you do well to put to death. So that brings us to the fourth and final one. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Now redemption can sometimes be used in the sense of salvation. But I believe in this context it means going to heaven, going to glory. It means the process of salvation brought to its climax. The great hope and comfort the Christian has is that although now he knows he is not perfect, he knows that when he dies, he will be perfect. This is the comfort the Christian has. And that's why the Christian is happy to think of death as being better than birth. You've possibly heard of A.W. Pink, who lived his life uh, here in, much of his life here in Stornoway. He was, I think, an Englishman, spent a lot of time in Australia, but he was a great writer of excellent books, an excellent Christian. He died, was it in the 1940s or 50s? I forget, but about that time anyway. And uh, when he was unwell, he went to the doctor and the doctor said to him, Mr. Pink, you haven't got long to go in this world. Mr. Pink said, oh, doctor, it can't come too soon. He longed to leave this world. He longed to be in heaven. He longed to be in glory. Now, you can't have that feeling unless you're a genuine Christian. The unbeliever doesn't long to be out of this world. He's terrified at the thought of leaving this world. Death is terrifying to the unbeliever. No wonder 
you know what happens to the unbeliever when he dies. He goes to hell fire. Not just for a week or a month or a year, but forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's why it's so important to be converted. Men and women, boys and girls, don't think lightly about conversion. It's extremely important. It's the only way to heaven. It's the only way to glory. It's the only way to be right with God. Oh, we have to have the wisdom of Christ. We have to have the righteousness which he can give us. We need to have the sanctified nature which he can give us. But if we do, then in the end of our earthly life, we shall come to the climax, which is what is being talked about here. Redemption, meaning going to heaven, going to glory forever and ever and ever. I've nearly finished, as you can see, from the subject I'm taking you. But let me just take a moment to remind you, dear friends, what a wonderful, happy thing death is for the Christian. When a Christian dies, his soul leaves his body. What keeps us alive in this world is that the soul and the body are together. But when death comes, it separates the soul from the body. And the body immediately goes to sleep, as it were. Can't move, can't do anything, can't think. And so the body is taken away and put into a coffin and laid in the, in the earth. And as the time goes by, the body becomes dust again. Dust we are, and to dust we shall return. But when death occurs to the Christian, the soul leaves the body and immediately the soul goes to glory. What we call the intermediate state. That means heaven before Christ returns. The soul is perfectly happy in the intermediate state. Mr. McRae Stornaway, whom we all know the name of, I think, and greatly respect him. And men like that and women like that who honor, honored God in their lives. They haven't got into the complete state of glory yet, but they're in the intermediate state of glory. Perfectly happy, perfectly at peace in the presence of God. In heaven they see God, they glorify God, they love God, they enjoy his love in their hearts. But now, when the end of the world comes, when time stops and all the clocks stop ticking, that's what will happen to all the clocks one day, they'll all stop ticking. There'll be no more time. What's happened to time? Christ is coming in the clouds with all his angels. And when he comes down, he will call and he will summon all the bodies of Christians out of their graves and the bodies and their soul, which have been in heaven, will be joined together. So there will be the opposite of death will take place. Soul and body will be put together again when Jesus returns. And the soul and the bodies of Christians will go into heaven forever. The soul and body of unbelievers will go down there. 
and unfearful place. For the soul and body of Christians, when Christ returns, they will enter into glory. And that indeed is what Jesus says in that wonderful prayer in John's Gospel that we looked at. Did you notice what he said at the end? The love wherewith he has loved of God will be in them and he in them. And that's what we're waiting for as Christians. We're longing for the day when God will take us to the heavenly home above. <laughs> so, my dearly beloved, boys and girls, men and women, oh, ask God to give you these four things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and when the time comes, redemption. If you truly want it, he will give it. For he has said, whosoever will, let him come, and God will answer your prayer. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, our Father in heaven, how grateful we should be. How terrible was the suffering of Christ, and yet how wonderfully full of love. Oh, bless each one of us. Remember, we pray the old Christians among us and prepare them. And we pray, remember, young people who are not converted. Oh, grant unto them these wonderful blessings of which thy word tells us. We ask all through Christ our Lord. Amen.